0: Really important about that. I know I kind of already mentioned this and child dedication shows us the reality because you know what? Like my, kid, my kids are 12 and 14. I think they came, we came to Lincoln Park when they were maybe four and six or three and five. They've grown up here. I mean, they, they've grown up in this place. And so as much as Jeanette and I do everything that we can to show them Jesus, and we mess up royally often, but they, we do our best to show them the reality of Jesus, they have seen Jesus in this place as well. And that's what this dedication is really a reminder of, is that we are all responsible to show and pass on the love of Jesus to the next generation. And so it's, it's great. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's special to be able to, jo- to grow up in the family of God. And so I just want you to see that, I want you to see your importance in this place. There are little ones looking to you, whether you realize it or not. There are little ones looking to you and seeing how we act and live, and that's a privilege and a responsibility, and so I hope that you just see that a little bit this morning. Uh, We are going to continue in our series, we're actually finishing our series this morning, on the Ten Commandments, and so we have been uh, on this journey all summer. Um, we've had a couple interruptions along the way, with uh, me traveling a little bit unexpectedly, getting COVID unexpectedly. Uh, we're past that, thankfully, uh, but we're finally coming to the end of this series. And this has been a, at least, at least for me, hopefully for all of you as well. But this has been um, an encouraging and challenging series. Uh, Just be reminded of what it means to be the people of God, reminder of how God wants us to be and the responsibility that he's given us to be his people, and what that specifically looks like. And so as we've gone through the command, just kind of getting one more aspect of what it means to love God with all of our heart, and also our neighbor as ourself. So we come to this last commandment in the 10th. Before we do, I know we've prayed multiple times this morning, but we need to pray that God would speak to our hearts. And so join me one more time just as we ask that he would speak. God, we do come before you as a church, as a community, and ask that you would be the one speaking, God. That you would be the one penetrating our hearts. You would be the one encouraging us with your word. I pray, Spirit, just as we sang earlier, that you would move in this place. That you would be the one that would be just saying exactly the things that we need to hear. We rely on you, God. We trust you. We look to you. And So help us to hear from you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. When I was in fifth grade, our class did a white elephant gift exchange for Christmas. Have you ever participated in one of those? Uh, I cannot remember what number I had in the order of picking gifts, but I remember it was somewhere in the back half of the group. Uh, we were doing the thing where somebody could steal a gift or pick a new one. So I had a few people to worry about, but not many. It's still kind of strategically, you know, how it, you, how it goes, where it's like you're kind of looking at the lay of the land, what gifts have been opened, what's still there, and trying to figure out what to do. But for me, it was actually kind of easy. Because when it came time to pick a gift, the gift that I wanted hadn't been picked yet. And so I took a very specific wrapped gift. A friend of mine had actually told me what he brought as a gift, and it had been something that I had been wanting for a long time. So I was watching his gift like a hawk since he told me, praying every time somebody would go up to the pile, please don't take that one, please don't take that one, please don't take that one. And by the time it got my turn, no one had taken it. I opened it up, and it was a G.I. Joe Zartan figure. This very one. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the nerdum is running strong for a long time in my life. But I opened it, and I freaked out, and I beamed with joy. This is what I wanted. And that joy lasted less than five minutes because this little punk jerk-faced classmate of mine came and stole the gift two people later. I don't even remember what the punk's name was, but I can see his face I seriously, I can see his face, his gloating little jerk face smile as he took my gift and went back to his seat. And I was crushed, literally. I think I mentioned I've gone back to see a counselor this summer and so we might might have to bring this up with him or something like that. I could not take my eyes off of it, but now from a place of complete misery. I wanted it, but he had it. Why couldn't I have that? Why didn't he just have to pick another gift? Why isn't that mine? Well, that's the way white elephant gifts exchanges go, right? Most of the time, or I mean, maybe not that intense, but I mean, you understand. Most of the time, you're looking at your lame hand-me-down ornament that somebody brought as a joke because I couldn't go out and find something, and you're looking at somebody else's restaurant or movie or even McDonald's gift card that's better than the thing that you got, and you're thinking, I know this isn't a big deal, but man, this is super lame, and I'd rather have that. Have you ever had moments like that? Again, maybe not as intense as my fifth grade level one, though I'm sure maybe some of us can resonate with that a little bit. Maybe it's, ah, this isn't that big a deal. But then there's other moments where it does feel like a big deal. When you look at your life and you look at somebody else's life and you want what they have. You want to be experiencing what they're experiencing. Not just to own something, but it's a little bit more of an intense desire. Like something is wrong with the world or something is wrong with how things work because you don't have what they do. Or maybe something's wrong with you because you don't have what they do. Have you ever felt that? I think we probably all have in some degree, even a little bit, whether we want to realize it or not. But if we can understand that, if we can resonate and understand that feeling, even a little bit, then we can start to grasp the heart of the 10th commandment. Which says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, spouse, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. You shall not covet. So that, the idea of covet, the emphasis here is on what I see, and then how my heart responds to what I see when I see another's life, when I see another's experiences, when I see another's possessions, how do I respond? Again, there's nothing wrong with admiring something, but it's something different to desire something in a negative way. I have to have that. Why don't I have that? Why can't I have what they have? This is coveting. Somebody told me once that frustration is just anger in a tuxedo. You don't want to admit the reality of what's going on. And I think in some ways, coveting is just lust in a tuxedo. We're lusting after what somebody wants with maybe a hint of jealousy and unease. Listen to what's mentioned. Spouse, servants, household items, and then the catch-all, literally anything that's theirs. In essence, this command is saying, Don't covet their life, not even an aspect of it. The details and the whole are all covered. Don't wish your life was their life. Don't wish your life was their life. This command is unique compared to others. It's not something that can be easily checked. I mean, stealing, murder, adultery, those can all be verified. We can know when those things happen. But coveting, this is an issue of the heart. There's really no way to check that. There's no way to make sure that that's not happening. It's harder to detect. And so, in that, there's an important aspect of self evaluation here, of honesty, of sensitivity to the Lord's leading in this command. And the importance of that because of how it connects to the other commandments. That this command connects to all of the others. And really I think to get to the heart of what's happening here, an important aspect we have to consider comes from Proverbs. Proverbs 4 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. If coveting is an issue of the heart, it's of how I'm responding to what I see, what Proverbs is then adding to this is guard your heart. Because how you live, what you'll do, how you respond flows from it. Check your heart. Protect your thoughts. Protect your feelings. Protect your identity. Be responsible for you. I wish I could have that. Guard your heart because you don't want it to lead to stealing. I wish he or she was mine. Guard your heart that it doesn't lead to adultery. I wish I had this in life. Guard your heart that it doesn't lead to idol worship. Don't covet. Guard your heart. It's a means of helping us move forward in life in faithfulness. Don't wish somebody else's life is your life. Guard your heart because faithfulness protects the community and coveting will fracture the community remember this is something that we've been saying all along in this series these commands define a people they unpack what it means to have an identity as god's people god is saying you're my kids you're my family and this is how my family acts and the significance of us doing this either Breaking the command or following through faithfully has repercussions beyond ourselves to those we are in community with and those even outside the community. Scholar Peter Enns puts it this way, As God's people, as his special possession, the Israelites must know what he requires of them. Being an Israelite is not a matter of private, personal piety. It has vertical and horizontal dimensions. And obedience to God is required on both fronts. After all, if they cannot behave properly toward their God and cannot treat each other as special people as God treats them, how can they ever be a light to the Gentiles? A light to others? How can they ever be a kingdom of priests in a world that does not know the true god and as much as that's for them it's also a reminder for us how we are how we live and how we do that with one another has repercussions beyond these four walls to those outside of it who need to see and experience jesus we are part of something greater than ourselves we have a spiritual connection to Jesus and one another that shatters the idea of American individualism to not covet to guard my heart the ramifications are huge not only for my life but the community so in light of that what are the implications of this command for us What do we need to think about? Well, I think there's a few questions we need to process and answer as a community when we think about the 10th commandment. The first one is this. What is the deeper reason why I want that? When the moment comes, when we have that experience, and let's just, we need to all be really honest, and maybe honest or maybe we need to not be in denial, but every single one of us either has broken this at some point or will be tempted to break it at some point. This is not an obscure command that might happen. This is a reality that does happen. And let me tell you when probably the most prevalent way that this can happen in our world and culture today is when you look and you're scrolling on social media and seeing what people have or they're doing or where they're at. And it's like, oh, why can't, And that's when the temptation to covet can come in. And so we just need to kind of be honest about this. This is something we need to be aware of and be faithful to not break this command. And so it starts with this. What is the deeper reason why I want that? Remember, to not covet is about the heart. At the core of this, I must ask myself, what is going on in my heart? And don't miss this. We cannot guard our hearts if we are oblivious to what's in our hearts. We cannot guard our hearts if we avoid what is going on in our hearts. We have to be aware of what's happening underneath the desire. Today, a cough, a sneeze, or a sore throat may not just be a cough, a sneeze, or a sore throat. They may be the symptoms for COVID, and I'm speaking from experience. We may hate the idea of that. You might get tired of hearing that, but it doesn't change the reality of things. When the covenant desire sets in, there is more going on underneath it. It is a symptom of something happening in your heart. It is a symptom of something deeper And that need, that desire, that symptom of what's going on in our heart, that's the thing that we need to be aware of. That's the thing underneath that the commandment wants us to focus on, be aware of, deal with, surrender to God. Again, we might hate that idea, we might not want to hear it, but it's still true. And so the prayer that we need to be praying actually comes from the same chapter we read for Collins this morning. In Psalm at the end of Psalm 139, it says, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everla- the way everlasting." God, God show me me. Why am I having these anxious thoughts? Why am I feeling this? Why am I reacting this way? God show me my heart. What are the symptoms pointing to? Reveal the truth to me. And so I have to be honest about the symptoms. Do the symptoms point to a deeper issue of materialism? I have to have it. I need to have this. I want this. I need to have more stuff, which is a huge thing in our culture. Does the symptom point to a deeper issue of a wound that needs healing? I've experienced this. This happened to me. Real, true, genuine things. But if we don't allow God to bring healing to those things, then we'll react to wounds in unhealthy ways. And maybe the desire I have is showing me the wound that I need to bring to Him and work on. Does the symptom point to a deeper issue of where we find our value? I I something's wrong with me if I don't have this. Something's wrong with me if this isn't true. Something's wrong with me if this isn't how my life is. But that's not how we live as believers though. My value my value should be in Jesus. He's what brings life to me. So why am I looking to this other thing? Maybe the symptom is pointing to an issue of value. Maybe the symptom points to a deeper issue of lack of faith. I would feel better if I had this. I would feel more secure if I had this. I would feel more comfortable if I had this. But are we trusting God with our lives? Am I, is that pointing to a lack of trust in the sufficiency of Christ and who he is? Does the symbol, symptom point to a deeper issue of misplaced identity? Where rather than finding my identity as who I am as a follower of Christ, I'm finding it in something else. This is where the self-evaluation, the honesty, the sensitivity to the leading of the Lord comes in. And really, we all need help with this. Maybe it's a friend who speaks into our lives. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's just somebody that you open up to. But this is something that we need help with. Myself and you. And so when you start thinking, I just wish I had blank. When you fill in that blank with whatever it is, what's going on underneath it? And let me clarify, there is nothing necessarily bad to want different things. A job, obviously, a spouse, kids, whatever that might be. The issue is, is when I think that there is something wrong with me when that thing is absent. When my life isn't going as it should be when that thing is absent. And that's where the others, we have to be honest about what the symptoms are pointing to. Why? What is the deeper reason for why you want what you want? And that actually goes to the second question. What am I trusting my life to? The symptoms point to something. Whether we figure them out, grow in our awareness of them, or deny them the depth of what is going in our heart, the symptoms point to something. And whatever is going on in our hearts, whether we realize it or not, we will move our hearts needs towards something to deal with it, to fill it, to heal it, to give it meaning, to give it purpose. We will never starve the desires of our hearts. As much as we must be honest about what is going on with them, we must also be honest with how we deal with them. And so when you acknowledge or come to the realization of what's going on with your heart and the desires of your heart, where do you take those desires? Jesus said in Matthew 7, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. It has a great solid foundation. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. To build my life on the truth of Jesus and his teachings, this is to have a firm foundation. This is to find true life. This is what my heart is longing for and craving He is who I need to take the desires of my heart to, to build my life on anything else. It creates a blueprint for disaster. Sure, it seems okay at first, but when the rains come, when the difficulties arrive, when the storm hits, any other foundation will crumble. I mean, think about when you're building a house. There's the foundation and then there's decor. Things like relationships, careers, financial security, pleasure, none of those are bad things, but they're really bad foundations. They're not meant to build your life on. Yes, they can help decorate a life. They can add a bit of color, but they aren't the things the house rests on. Treat them like a foundation and they don't hold up the only thing we are meant that we can find joy and purpose and healing and life in is jesus he is the only one that can give us what our hearts desire and so this truth is going to hit every single one of us it just might hit us in different ways some of some of you might not have put your faith in jesus yet you what are you building your life on what is your life resting on? What do you find your identity in? The, again, not that it's a bad thing necessarily, but it can't do for you what you think it can. Only Jesus can heal our hearts, heal our brokenness, forgive our sins, restore us to what we were made for, and that's to be one with the Lord. You need to think through the reality of who you are in connection with God God wants you to be in relationship with him he wants you to be one with him he wants you to find life in him it's what he sent Jesus to the cross to accomplish so that we could have our forgiveness sins forgiven so brokenness can be healed so that we can find life It says in Romans 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Openly declaring, I am giving the allegiance of my life to Jesus. I am aligning who I am with him. I'm surrendering who I am to him. I understand what he's done for me. I'm giving my life to him. It says in Ephesians, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. We can't say, ah, well, I'm trying really hard or I'm I'm, I'm basically a good person. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. That's not how we find what we need from God. We find the life we need from God by just surrendering our lives to him by acknowledging the reality of what Jesus has done on the cross and finding life in the resurrected life that he invites us to. You need to put your faith in Jesus today if you've never done that. Some of us have put our faith in Jesus. And so if that's you, you have to ask yourself, are you building your life on him? Or on something else? On someone else? Is he... Jesus cannot just be decorations in your life. Jesus cannot just be an occasional thing. That's not a life with Him. If you treat Jesus like a decoration of your life, you have to ask yourself is He truly the foundation of your life? Have you truly given who you are to Him? Or is this just a neat idea that you've picked up along the way? He doesn't want to be your hobby. He doesn't want to just be something that you do occasionally, that you get warm fuzzies from. He wants to be your life. And so you have this the 10th commandment is a gut check for who we are in Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. We need to be the new people God has redeemed us to be. So you have to ask yourself, are you living, are you looking more and more like Jesus or the same person you always have been? Are you living this new life that he has given you? Colossians 3.10 says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. We are meant to become more and more like Jesus and help one another become more like Jesus. Pointing one another to his grace. Pointing one another to his forgiveness. Pointing one another to his purposes. You know what? I think sometimes we can be going through so many difficult things. We can have trials going on. We can have people speaking to us that we kind of get lost within all the shuffle of what's happening and we forget who we are in Jesus. I, I have to be honest, I've had to come to that realization in my own, this, in my life this summer. Thinking about the last couple years, thinking about all that I've experienced, just the idea of pastoring over the last year or just the last few years in general. Hearing so many voices of, well, pastors aren't supposed to have opinions like that or aren't supposed to do that or aren't supposed to, pastors are supposed to be like this and you need to be kind of having this whole hodgepodge of, how people want me to be rather than being faithful to who God has made me to be. Because I realize sometimes people want you to be more like them and not more like Jesus. Want you to be more comfortable for them and not the challenge of what the Spirit's doing in all of our lives. And I've I've had to own that. I've had to realize that. And actually it's been very freeing and given me life. You need to think about that as well. What speaks into your life? Are people pushing you to Jesus, encouraging you to Jesus? Are you receiving that or are you pushing it away? Are you taking that or are you just trying to avoid it? We need to be in community with one another. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be helping one another find Jesus And be like him. And as people who say we trust him, if we're not active and consistent in that, we might have been, have our focus off. We might not realize that we're coveting other things rather than being solely about him. What are you trusting your life to? We all have to be honest about that. And we all have to come before Jesus with it. Last thing, really quickly last question. What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? There's a word called vocation. It isn't just the job that I have, vocation is actually something deeper than that. It, it, the word means a calling or a voice. Early on in the church, some thought that the idea of a calling or Um, a vocation was just something meant for those who were going to be clergy or monks, things like that. But then others kind of corrected that thinking. No, we are all priests in the kingdom of God. We are all ambassadors in the kingdom of God. We have all been made to represent Jesus and the love that he has given us. Martin Luther said every occupation has its own honor before God. Ordinary work is a divine vocation or calling. In our daily work, no matter how important or mundane, we serve God by serving the neighbor. And we also participate in God's ongoing providence for the human race. What you do and how you've been made to do it is a spiritual thing, is a God thing. And God has made you in a specific way to represent him in a specific place, in a specific manner. Luther also said this, Since the course of our life is shaped by factors beyond our own plans and ideas, we we are to address ourselves to the present hour, to whatever is at hand, to whatever is waiting for me now and belongs to my vocation. What your hands find to do has not just sprung forth by accident. Since God is at work in the world about us, it is God who gives us the moment together with the relationships with others in our situation which the moments bring. And with these relationships, he gives us our definite tasks. To use the moment and the time which God gives us is to enter into one's vocation. God, you have been given a moment. And you have been given a life and you have been placed somewhere. What are we doing with that? The poet Mary Oliver said, Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I think I teared up and got emotional seeing that video is I remembered telling my youth group time and time and time again, stop, don't stop dreaming about what God can do in you and through you. And the reality is that rather than having a childlike faith, we all get old and forget that. And we go through the motions of trying to just earn a paycheck rather than being through part of something amazing and eternal and world impacting. And so I think we all need to get a little younger in our thinking, in our perspective, and dream a little bit with God. What can you do? What do you want to do through me? 2 Corinthians 5.12 says, So we are God's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks through him to God the Father. In everything that we do, how can I make him known and help people experience him? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Next week, I'm gonna be starting a really short, two or three-week series. Actually, well, it's gonna go some ways into September, but the next couple of weeks we're gonna focus on this idea of let your life speak. How has God fashioned you specifically for wherever He has placed you to share His love with others? Your life is not meant to be muted. Or dormant your life was meant to speak and I'm going to be honest I think I mentioned this last week I think that this is one of the most important series and words that we need that I need that our church family needs in this season as we've everything that we've gone through the last 15 months everything we've experienced even before that as we look ahead we need to be reminded of who we are. We need to dream a little bit more, or maybe even give ourselves permission to start doing that in the first place. And so I beg you, I challenge you, I'll throw out the triple dog dare if that works in your heart. Do not miss this, be a part of this. If you're watching online right now, do not skip this, make it a priority. Be part of this because we need this word and I think it's going to be monumental for our church family and so that's going to start next week let your life speak what are you doing with your life do not covet do not wish somebody else's life was your life be honest about what's happening in your heart bring those desires to God find life in him And then allow him to use you. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks. We need to, and I close with this, we need to be grateful. Be grateful. And so maybe that's the first step for you in defeating covetousness, is to be grateful for what you do have right now. Because sometimes we get our eyes so off of our current life that we miss what's happening right in front of our faces. And so what can you be grateful for to the Lord? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you know us in and out, every detail, every minute, every second, both past, present, and future. We thank you that you pursue us, that you are for us, that you love us, that you want to use us, that you want to be with us. God, I pray that that would encourage our hearts. I pray that we would build our lives on you and nothing else, that we would desire life with you and nothing else. Forgive us for the times when we seek life in other places and in other things. God, help us to reignite in our hearts a desire and a heart fire and a fervency for you. God, for those who don't know you, let now be the time of salvation. Let now be the moment when life begins. We ask all these things in your name, amen. Let's stand and we're going to do this last song together. And as the team leads us in this, again, this is just like what I said at the end of the Holy Spirit earlier. This isn't just singing a song together. This is meant to be prayerful. This is us coming before the Lord. This is us declaring commitment to him and worship to him. And so don't let these just be words. Sing them because you truly mean this. Sing this because this is your prayer. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, don't worry about singing this just in your heart right now. Pray to him, surrender. If you have questions about that, if you want to do that even right now, I'll be up here. You can get out of your seat, walk up while the song's going on and I would love to pray with you. But let's come before him together.